Good day to our listeners here at The Middle Podcast. My name is Jim Nelson, and I get the great honor of once again hosting you over the course of the next 15 minutes or so. As always, this production is a digital ministry of Living Word Church in Oak Harbor, Washington. We're grateful for our church's support, obviously. Pastor Drew continued our sermon series this past weekend from the book of Daniel. And if you are newer to our show and aren't aware of our purpose here, we generally take the previous week's sermon, release an episode sometime during the middle of the week. That's where we get the name, The Middle Podcast. And I'll highlight early here a scripture verse that has served as motivation over the course of this short series, for me anyway, in preparation for it. It's Jeremiah 29.7. And as I read it, and we continue to work through the story of Daniel together, I think we'll even get a more understanding of its significance It goes like this. God says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So, this week, peace and prosperity, we're definitely going to look at that seek the peace part of Jeremiah's advice for those faithful living in the culture that, that is so opposed to their faith. First, a question. During your walk with Jesus, do you recall the very first encounter you had with the book of Daniel? I know this is sort of a question that is difficult to answer because we really have to look back and and examine or remember as best we can, but I do know my first one. I first engaged this text as a kindergarten co-teacher with my wife, Kristen, way back in 1994, and I was just a brand new Christian. So, Here is the paradox of Daniel. There are great lessons of faith for children, and that's where we tend to to see these stories, is in children's stories. You know, like, oh, look at these three young men in the fiery furnace. See how God is always with us. Or Daniel in the lion's den. See how Daniel trusted God, and the lions peacefully laid their heads in his lap. So, be like Daniel. Be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, those kind of teachings. And this is great for our little ones to hear, obviously, but as younger and older adults, we can't strip away the battle that Daniel and God's exiled people faced in in that culture. And this is important because today, as Christ followers, we also can't strip away the text and ignore the clash that is going on in our own faith story as our culture pushes following Jesus further and further out to the fringes of our society. Let's remember, as we get into the discussion today, what the story of Daniel is most trying to communicate, okay? This book gives us stories that we can draw hope from as these characters are trying to remain faithful to God while the culture and community around them is tempting them into compromising their faith or pushing them to compromise their faith. So, in the last episode, we looked at three paths we may respond There are three ways that we may respond that the Bible Project identified in their video, The Way of the Exile. And if you haven't watched it yet, get online, watch that video, and you'll get a really good understanding of what's going on in Daniel. Uh, The first option we have is just to go with the flow, totally give in to the culture, float along with the current, and surrender our identity in Christ for an identity defined by the culture itself. And this is a complete compromise and not really an act of faith at all. Secondly, we can fight back against it with all our might and most likely lose our life, or if we survive, lose our influence as the culture around us overwhelms our witness, okay? So, that's 
another option we may have. If you're watching season two of the Chosen series, I was really encouraged to see the story being told of Simon and the Zealots at the time. Simon the Zealot, remember him? He's one of the uh, disciples of Christ. It's a it's a full pushback on the Roman culture, even to the point of violence. And it's ironic in that zealots were fighting back at the violence and oppression of the Roman Empire with their own violence. So, uh, but it was it was a great show. And if you want to just catch up, kind of a, a movie version of the story of Simon the Zealot, because there is very few stories about him, um, check out episode four of season two of The Chosen. But part of me wants to cling to this option, quite honestly, because it sounds—it just sounds right. But then I look at the example of Jesus amidst the Roman culture of the day, and I just can't see him pushing hard against that, that culture. He pushes back on the religious culture of the day, for sure, but not so much on that political and governmental culture. And then lastly, we can take Jeremiah's take in 29.7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which God has put you in exile. This is the submission and subversion approach that we read in the book of Daniel. And so let's take another look this week, and with these same approaches in mind, we'll talk ourselves through chapter 2. I want to summarize quickly, as I realize that most of you probably heard the sermon, King Nebuchadnezzar is practically the king of the known world. He rules over the kingdom of Babylon and its culture and its influence, uh, which is felt all around the Middle East and Southeast Europe. This king has had a dream, and it's so bizarre and puzzling that he has no idea what it means. So he turns to some of the men of wisdom in his court, those that he thinks might have insight into the mystical side of dream interpretation, to first tell him what the dream was, and then to interpret its meaning. Now, this happens quite often in our household. Kristen and I will be in the kitchen in the morning, and one of the, the kiddos will get up, walk in the kitchen, and say, you know, like, hey, mom, dad, guess what I dreamed last night? Guess what I dreamed last night? I usually start to make up some silly story, but it's even impossible to do that. And so, I don't know, you know, basically, I don't know what you've dreamt. And that's exactly where the story the story's experts are stuck to ensure that they're not just spinning some interpretation to please the king's ear. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar demands not only interpretation, but the dream itself. Impossible. And his dream chasers tell him, so he says, only the gods can do that kind of stuff, and those gods don't dwell with us. We can't do that. This is where approach number two, the rebellious approach against culture, is dangerous because we get a picture here of what the human can do when they have all the overwhelming power and authority to unleash that influence as king, right? He orders that all the wise men in his council be put to death. That's, that's just plain old brutal. And why is this story important to us in Daniel? Because our faithful characters, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are four of those trained wise men. Daniel must think fast. And he does. And he does so by buying a little bit more time. And buying more time, as Jeremiah suggests, I think, seeks the peace. Can you imagine if the royal guard had unleashed this horrendous order of the king and carried out the king's wishes? They would be practically wiping out all of the people that are trained up to help the king run this huge empire. 
Combine that with an insecure and paranoid Nebuchadnezzar, I just can't see peace as an outcome of this uh, overreach at all. So Daniel inserts a little peace when he asks for some time. And during that time, God does reveal the details of the king's dream. And this is kind of where a paradox of chapter 2 kind of comes in. And Drew pointed this out. He said, the king realizes the limitations of his immense power and authority, and he didn't have an answer for it. Compare that with Daniel, the paradox. His response is when he found himself powerless, he gathered those friends he had and sought the mercy and the blessing of God. So there's kind of two different things going on in the story. So let's quickly revisit approach number three to living a life of faith in exile. Daniel chose to serve this power-hungry, obsessive king to regain or maintain some peace that that could be found in this kingdom. And God does respond, obviously. He responds during the night by not only interpreting the dream, but the details of the dream itself. And that was key to satisfying King Nebuchadnezzar's demand. The dream is pretty bizarre. Sure, it's a bizarre dream nestled in a bizarre story, but we soon see that the second half of approach number three, the subversion aspect, we see see that come into play here pretty quick. The dream and its interpretation aren't too difficult to understand, obviously with some help of various commentaries. It's of a statue, literally an image of human kingdoms with Nebuchadnezzar's Uh, Babylon being the golden head and then successive kingdoms like it being the body and the legs and the feet. Just as an aside, remember the gold of that head for next week's chapter three. Okay, just keep that in mind. But bottom line, humankind is going to see a line of Babylon-like and worse, actually, kingdoms come and go, and each of them will challenge and threaten those of faith in God. But in the end of the human kingdoms represented by this image, God will establish a kingdom that shall never be destroyed and shall stand forever, as the story of Daniel describes in verse 44. But what I want to look over as we begin to close our time is the humbling message for the king and the encouragement for Daniel and those believers over the course of centuries who would find themselves in similar oppressive circumstances. So first for the king, It is really interesting to look at the details of Daniel's explanation. First off, he acknowledges what the mystical wise men tried to communicate really early in the story. Hey, this revelation isn't about Daniel and some special dream interpretation gift that he has. But it came to be because the God of the universe knows all things and is with people of faith in a way that he can communicate with them. So all credit goes to the one true God in this story. But in that explanation, and using language of Genesis 1 and 2, okay, Daniel lets the king know that even he is intended to be an image of God. This one caught my attention. Even Nebuchadnezzar is intended to be an image of God. And if we remember back some past episodes, that image of God is projected, there's purpose, to rule and manage and cultivate and develop the raw potential of God's creation under the wisdom of God and for the betterment of humankind and the other creative beings, right? That's the whole purpose of being an image. I think Daniel intends to respectfully reveal that the reality that they live in when compared to the purpose and intentionality of God 
has become dreadfully distant. I mean, there's this big gap between the two. The Babylon that they live in has little resemblance to the intention and the kingdom that God originally planned. Nothing like it, right? I don't think we have to really dive down too far into the details to figure out that the ruling of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar is a gross distortion of how God intended his images to be ruling and cultivating creation. A gross distortion. Even in the best of cultures in history and our, and our present day, if right living and justice are the foundation of God's kingdom, humankind is far from that. And then lastly, the encouragement that Daniel had to draw from the dream's interpretation. And not just Daniel, but his three buddies and all of those of faith in Babylon. But not only Babylon, but from the Persian and the Greek and the Roman exiles and generations to come, God's kingdom is coming. I think we all would acknowledge that it is much easier to persevere when we know that the circumstances uh, that we are going through are only temporary. That's true for you too, I'm sure, isn't it? It is for me. I think the best word we can use to describe that anticipation of the temporary is hope. Hope, right? Yes, the king's dream was a harsh admonishment of Nebuchadnezzar's authority as an image bearer, but that same dream provided a hope for God's faithful that they could read, that they could internalize, that they could used to build their courage and stamina and their patience, knowing that God would be ushering in a just and righteous kingdom that would last forever. So are you ready for that kingdom? I am. It's already started, and Jesus invites us to remain faithful, to persevere, and participate as he reclaims and redeems the world back into how it was originally intended and designed. Thank you again for joining us this week. Tune in again next week, and I'm looking forward to having you back.